Welcome to America's Auto Enthusiast Program. This is Auto World. And now, here's your host, Bob Long. Welcome, everybody. Thank you very much for joining me here for another hour of Auto World. I'm fighting a little bit of a cold, so pardon my voice for the moment, but we've got an outstanding hour lined up because our lubrication expert, our specialist, is going to be joining us momentarily. So you know what that means. If you've got any questions about uh, oil or any other kind of fluid lubrication for your vehicle, we can help you out here via the telephone. At 855-660-4261 or via the email bob at autoworldradio.com or Dan Watson at the com. Speaking of Dan Watson, it's been a busy holiday season and it's great to have him back with us live here on the program, joining us from the Orlando, Florida area. It's my pleasure to welcome one of the largest Amsoil distributors in all of North America, a man with more than 25 years of lubrication experience. Here he is. We'll call him the doctor, Dr. Dan Watson. How are you doing, Dr. Dan? Hey, I'm doing well. I don't know that I can do much as a doctor for your cold, so you just have to <laughs> grind it out, you know. <laughs> exactly. I'm kind of a doctor in the same way, if you remember WKRP in Cincinnati, as Dr. Johnny Fever, right? <laughs> <laughs> Very good. I like that. I've been noticing uh, that gasoline prices have been falling of late, uh, and it's across the board, both regular premium and uh, even I've seen some diesel prices slightly down. What, what's behind some of these price reductions? Well, of course, as most people that follow along with what's going on worldwide, uh, we're kind of swimming in a um, an overabundance of oil on the worldwide market, and crude oil is selling for the upper 40s, 47, 48 dollars a barrel. And just uh, a few months back, it was 80 dollars a barrel. So that's a big change in in the cost of crude, which of course is what we refine into gasoline now. That's only part of it, though. There's actually a bit of a, um, not a recession, but the worldwide economy sputtering a little bit. Now, when the economy is really booming, oil consumption really goes up. So the old supply and demand rears its head. And when everybody around the world is expanding their economies and they need more energy and they need more oil and uh, gas and uh, prices start heading up, but when you have a bit of an economic turndown and you have uh, increased production so significantly, when you get that mismatch, uh, it takes a while to balance out in the market. So what happens is it starts falling, and there are even some predictions that it might even go into the 30s before the price of a barrel of oil stabilized. But looks like that might not happening yet it still might i mean there's there's all kind of things that can happen in the oil market but one of the things i think it's to me at least it's kind of a pleasure to remember is several years ago in some campaigns there was the lady from uh, alaska sarah palin and she was saying hey there's all kinds of oil in alaska there's oil in 
all over in Texas and all this kind of stuff, and we just need to get about drilling for it. And her term was drill, baby, drill. <laughs> and she was sort of poo-pooed as a know-nothing and what are you bringing up this kind of stuff for. But today, the United States, for the first time in a long time, is an exporter of petroleum products. Now, that doesn't mean that we're exporting crude oil uh, because our demand for crude oil still exceeds our production. But we also produce natural gas, lots of natural gas. And so the natural gas that we are exporting by liquefied natural gas tankers and so forth has pushed us to a net positive uh, oil or what they call hydrocarbons production. Okay, So it's a particularly wonderful place to be these days as a country because if we don't like the oil prices that seem to be getting a little bit going back up and getting too high, we can actually push enough product into the marketplace to bring them down. And we couldn't do that before. We can also tell certain countries that we used to rely on specifically we couldn't do without their oil that we don't have to play to some political game for them because if we don't, they're going to restrict oil. Remember the oil embargo in the 1970s? So it's a terrific thing. And the reflection of these prices, Bob, I mean, right here in town, I think you might have seen it. I saw gasoline for $1.97. Wow. Yeah, think about it. That's a deal. We both endured when it was three ninety seven. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so the departure. these are not complicated things, but there is a world market out there that really affects all the way down to the pump for consumers what's going on. And our situation as an oil producing nation has improved to the point to where it's going to be a long time before oil prices ever try to push back up to where they were. It's just too much oil has become available. This incredible system of what they call horizontal drilling and fracking has turned old, played-out fields into new, massive sources of oil. In West Texas, it's just reinvigorated everything. They can't hardly believe how much oil they're pumping out of fields that they said were no longer extractable with the old current old methods, but with this horizontal excuse me, horizontal drilling and fracking, they're extracting just tons more oil. I mean, lots more oil. And they just uh, announced. Can you believe this? I don't. It's hard for me to believe that in West Texas, that mm-hmm. all the years that we've been extracting oil and discovering things, they just announced a new discovery or find in West Texas that should be about 22 billion barrels of oil. Oh, wow. I mean, nobody, you're talking about the Permian Basin that they everybody had said, yeah, boy, we started pumping that 100 years ago. It's all gone, right? So now they discover another place that could have 22 billion barrels of extractable oil. So, you know, for all practical purposes, we have moved into another one of these plateaus with oil. And what do I mean by that, Bob? What I mean is that over the years, what you do is you pump real easy to get oil. But when it gets harder to find that oil, the price of oil has to go up so that it can cover the new, more difficult extraction methods, right? Well, oil went up in a plateau 
to in the $80 range, which was settling in pretty much to be where it covered the cost of new expensive drilling techniques and all those kind of things. But what nobody anticipated was how successful the fracking business was going to be and how much oil it could produce. And it has just blown away everybody's expectations. And so it means that all we have to do is sell oil at a price which compensates for the cost of fracking, and everybody's in business making money and they're happy. And that's going to be somewhere probably in the high 40s to the mid-50s. So we may see a lot of oil for a long time floating around $55, give or take 5 bucks for some time, unless there's some guys out you know, in the rest of the world like Russia and uh, Saudi Arabia and some people that decide to restrict oil off the market to try to push the price up. But other than that, there's not a foreseeable mismatch anytime soon where there's not enough production to cover the, the use. So that's the topic on that. We'll come back and do some questions after the break, something like that. We sure will. Don't go away. This is Auto World. I'm Bob Long with Dan Watson. Broadcasting from the middle of Corvette Boulevard and Stingray Avenue, this is Auto World with your host, Bob Long. I sure am. We're back. We're live here with Dan Watson. And uh, Dan is the CEO of the com, And we're talking about some of the stories uh, that uh, we have covered over the past year. We're at the end of 2018. 2019 is around the bend. So um, those gas prices will be interesting to watch. But... Uh, I, I can't imagine them going down too much lower. Uh, would you say that's accurate, Dan? No, no, I think they're about the bottom. We're not going to see it go any lower. The fact is is that we see a little bit about the travel time of the year, and we see natural gas prices affected by cold spells and how cold it gets up north. So all these things now are going to settle into their normal track, and uh, we're probably not going to see oil go much lower because... In reality, there are places, and I know this, that people need to understand this, across a lot of parts of this country and Canada and other places, let's say, Bob, that you had three oil wells on your property. They belong to you. Well, there are companies that will do the collection of the oil for you because you don't have a pipeline or anything, so they send out, they had a tank, and they send out a truck, and it pumps off your 5,000-gallon tank as often as it fills up. Well, they're also programmed for the, the well itself that they can send out an electronic signal, like a radio signal, if you will, and stop the well. Well, people will tell that own like two or three oil wells. They will tell the company that they're operating from, look, I don't want to sell my oil for anything less than $50 a barrel. When the price hits $50 a barrel, just turn the well off and I'll sit on it until the price goes back up. So effectively, over time, when these prices go down, uh, it takes a little bit of a delay time, but there will be a lot of wells shut off because 
you know, it's like if you and I have something for sale, we have a bottom level price we're going to take for it. We don't, you know, it's like somebody says, hey, you want to sell that truck? And you go, yeah, and they offer you 3000 and you say, no way, i got to get 5000 minimum. I won't sell it unless I can get 5000 So that's sort of the thing with people that have some of these oil wells that are sitting on their property that have been around for 50 years. A lot of them up in Pennsylvania and stuff, they turn them off when the price gets too low. So obviously then the supply starts going down and the price will start heading back up. So it's a cyclical type thing. So anyway, let's get to some of our uh, latest and greatest topics from 2018. Yes, some really important ones here, including what is LSPI, which stands for Low Speed Pre-Ignition. Does it affect all gasoline engines, and what can I do to prevent it? Well, this is a topic that came up, and it is critically important, but at least Fortunately for our consumers, it only affects direct-injected gasoline engines. Now, you'll know that if your car is called a GDI, gasoline direct-injected engine. Those are the engines that are susceptible to this low-speed pre-ignition. Now, to put that into perspective, what it means is that the combustion is going to take place in the cylinder before the spark plug fires, and if it hits it early enough, it could cause the, the the piston is not in the right position, and it detonates when it goes off, and it could actually break the connector rod that connects the piston to the crankshaft and cause major damage to the engine. There are reports of several failed engines due to this low-speed pre-ignition, so it is something to be concerned about, but only if you have a gasoline direct-injected engine. Now, briefly, why is that so? Well, because, folks, injectors leak. These injectors that are sitting in the cylinder, that's why it says direct-injected. You're not in a, in a gasoline engine. You could have a carburetor, which means that it's got jets in the carburetor and the air and the fuel are mixed and it goes down the intake manifold and then past the intake valve into the cylinder. That's that's the old-fashioned way. Still some carbureted models around to do that. The throttle body injected motor just replaces the carburetor with a throttle body injector. Same thing runs out through the, the manifold pipes to the cylinders. Then they have what they call multi-port fuel injected. And that means that you've got an injector in each one of the intake uh, pipes that are coming down from the breather into the cylinder. So if you've got a six-cylinder, you got six injectors. you got an eight-cylinder, you got eight. you got a four-cylinder, you got four. They're in the intake manifold. But a direct-injected engine, the injector is actually in the cylinder, in the combustion cylinder, and... It's going to put gas in directly into that. They're very efficient and very powerful. But those injectors at the pressures they operate and so forth, which are not tremendously high, they're not like the diesels running at thousands of PSI. They're probably six or 700 pounds or something at the most. But anyway, they can leak. Now, when you have that fuel that leaks on the piston, depending upon the piston's geometry, how it's made, it can leak down onto the side and mix with oil 
and that mixture of gasoline and oil can make a combustible mixture. And it will, due to heat and compression, it can pre-ignite without the spark plug. So how do you deal with this not to damage your engine? You have to buy oil that it says on the label that it is certified to prevent LSPI. And you'll see it on the ones that are labeled that do it. All of the the Amsoil engine oils provide, they are certified 100% no LSPI. It has to do with the chemistry in the oil, whether or not it will participate with the gasoline in an ignition prior to the spark plug timing trying to set off the mixture. So buy the correct oil and you will not suffer LSPI. But you have to be careful about that and understand that if you have a gasoline direct injected engine, this is something you need to be aware of. It could cause significant damage to the engine and you can completely eliminate it by buying certified engine oil that is certified to prevent or not undergo LSPI. So, Very good question. Well, it's a good topic. It's a good thing. We talked yeah. about it a lot back in the year, but it's just so critical to these people because there's <laughs> been some pretty big damage to quite a few engines based on that. Got another question here. This one is, um, are all the synthetics the same? Why does AMSOIL cost more? Well, when I come back and answer so. that question. <laughs> it sounds like a perfect time for a segue. More with Dan Watson around the bed. I'm Bob Long. And now, back to the show with the highest octane, Auto World, and your host, Bob Long. We're back here live with Dan Watson, CEO of TheLoopPage.com. You can get a hold of Dan directly via the phone as well as go to bustnuffgarage.com and, and sign up for the newsletter and happenings. Before we get into the price differences between AMSOIL and regular oil, just got to touch a little bit on, give folks a warning about the, the 5W30 not being intended for some sloppier day vehicles uh, before they really turned up the volume on on quality control, Dan? Yes. uh, The the thing in all of this is to remember that we've got, um, when it comes to oil and its quality, whether we're talking about uh, synthetics or petroleum, it's just there is so much difference in these oil products, people think that, well, that oil's certified, so it must be good. But you got to realize is that the minimum standard is set by the API. The American Petroleum Institute SN rating, that's the current classification for oil, that's the minimum the oil has to meet to do the job. Now, this is not keeping up with what manufacturers believe is important because um, you've got individual specifications by manufacturers such as GM's entire, they have this called Dexos, which for all of their vehicles, anything made by GM, you not only have to meet the 
APISN classification, but the oil has to be certified to meet the GM DEXOS requirement. That's because GM was just upset with the, let's just call it uh, the low bar set by the American Petroleum Institute to qualify as the next level oil, and GM wasn't satisfied that that oil was of a high enough caliber to cover what they were doing in their cars. So the consumer needs to understand that you really do need to do the shopping around and make sure that you get a good product, whether it's petroleum or synthetic. But the market in synthetic, Bob, is so bad right now that oil that is called full synthetic or, you know, other such terms may in fact be primarily uh, petroleum oil. And the problem which I've discussed, you know, uh, ad infinitum, as they say on uh, the radio here, is that a ruling from years ago in a particular case allowed that synthetic could be used as a marketing term rather than as a technical term. Now, the best way to describe an analogy to this is that if you tried to say that radial tires was just a marketing term and that you could label anything radial if you wanted to because it would just be based upon uh, performance. And so you could take a good, great, old, biased pie trailer tire and call it a radial tire and get away with it. It would be the same thing as taking some of these products that they're calling synthetic when they're really not the synthetic that people have in their mind. So I've I've harped on this before. I want the consumer to know that they need to do protect themselves and they need to actually do some homework. This internet is full of so much information that you can find all kinds of things on it if you just take some time and look. And I used to be pretty upfront to say that you could trust most major oil companies until I got into the internet myself and discovered that some what I consider to be pretty reputable name brand companies were listing right on their material safety data sheets that the constituency of the product was 50% petroleum and they were labeling it as full synthetic. Now, that really upset me when I saw that because that's just pure out deceitful, if nothing else, to the consumer. So the best advice that I have right now is you can, I think you can trust Mobil and Amsoil to the top of the list, okay? I know you can trust Amazon 100%. I'm keeping my eye, my eye on mobile because when it was mobile oil company before they merged with Exxon, I would have said 100% exactly what they they were doing. But after they merged with Exxon, you got other factors involved. And so I can't categorically say, but I still trust that they're producing, when they label something as synthetic, it's real synthetic engine oil. But this is a mess, and I don't know when the government cleans it up because they let it happen. Uh, there were warnings about this when they made that that uh, National Advertising Department of the uh, Better Business Bureau and somebody. Anyway, they had this thing where they came before Castrol and Mobile, and they thought about this, and that's when they decided that synthetic was just a marketing term. It wasn't really technical, and that Mobile warned then that that would undermine the market in the years in the future, that people would be producing faux pas synthetic and calling it synthetic based on that ruling, and sure enough, their their uh, prophecy has been coming true. So to the consumer, be careful. Don't pay money 
for something that is not what you think it is. Just be very careful out there. Make sure you get the quality product that you're looking for. I know you'll get that with AMSOIL, and that's why when you pay money for AMSOIL, there may be more than somebody else's oil, that's because you're actually getting what you're paying for rather than buying something that's labeled one way and isn't what you think it is. No wonder they can sell it for less money because if you sell glorified petroleum as synthetic, in fact, you charge twice as much as the petroleum, I think that's probably enough. You know, so yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know what I mean? If you've already enough. made double the profit because you're doing this, maybe you wouldn't push it on up to what the cost of real synthetic would be. But I don't know. It's it's a disappointing thing, Bob. You know, I'm a. I like to try to believe in in human beings, and it just really disappointed me to see such a. Uh, it was a letdown to see that going on. Here's a uh, interesting question. Um, about regeneration. What is regeneration regarding my diesel and the diesel particulate filter in the exhaust? Are there any side effects that are harmful? That's a good question. Yeah, this is an area we've talked about before because it's amazing to me how many people can own a diesel-powered vehicle and have no idea that it has this rather sophisticated, unusual exhaust system on it that takes special care and is uh, very expensive if you screw it up, and that in some states like California, you would be fined real heavily or maybe even your truck confiscated if you tried to remove this exhaust system and go to some type of straight pipes and mufflers or something because the diesel particulate filter that is located in the exhaust on these over-the-road diesels is designed to collect that soot that we've seen over the years that when somebody hits the accelerator in their diesel and we see black smoke jump out the rear end, uh, that's because partially burned diesel fuel is soot. It's like an ash because it didn't get thoroughly burned because you dumped some extra in there with the injector and it couldn't quite burn it all in the cylinder so it kicks out smoke because it's kind of overfueled, if you know what I mean. So the EPA decided that this ultra-fine soot coming out of these diesels, something had to be done about it. So the manufacturers and the, the engineers got together and they created these diesel particulate soot filters in the exhaust and they are very efficient they take the soot out but they can't just uh, miraculously uh, think we're in Star Trek or something and we're you know transporting the soot away <laughs> it doesn't happen like yeah. that so I'll explain exactly. it when we come back how you get rid of the soot out of the filter hey it's Billy F. Gibbons from ZZ Top and you're listening right here to Auto World we're back, everybody. Thanks for being here. Happy holidays. My name is Bob Long, along with the CEO of the LubePage.com, Dan Watson, the answer man when it comes to any lubrication dilemmas that you face, is here taking your calls and emails at 855-660-4261. And in this hour, we're kind of looking back at some of the more important subjects that we covered 
uh, during the past year. And we left off with a, a question about diesel. Um, uh, what is the re- uh, regeneration regarding my diesel and the diesel particulate filter in the exhaust? Are there any side effects that are harmful? Interesting question. Yeah, and we had talked a little bit about why they did this. The diesel particulate filter in the exhaust was to eliminate that fine diesel soot that gets out into the air, and they're concerned about that affecting asthmatics and other people with health issues. Now, those diesel filters they put on, they work well, but the problem is they collect all this soot. Pretty soon that filter starts getting hard to pass the exhaust on through, and it starts pushing a back pressure back against the engine because it's getting clogged up. So you got to do something. How do you get this stuff out of there? Well, believe it or not, they're going to burn it out. You're going to burn it out with diesel. And in the truest of all worlds, you'd simply just have some way that you would uh, open up and inject some diesel into it and catch it on fire and burn all that stuff out and you'd be done with it. But we got into some sort of unique ways of trying to deliver the diesel into this system in order to burn the uh, diesel particulate out of the, that was trapped, the carbon that was trapped in that filter to burn it out. So, like I said, the optimum way would be use an injector in the exhaust system to literally inject into some diesel under pretty high pressure and bring it out as a nice mist. It would go into the uh, diesel particular filter catch on fire in there basically. It really catches on fire is what it does, and it burns out with the fire, the soot that's in there, and you're ready to collect more. It completely burns it up, that soot, when it, when that hot fire burns inside that diesel particulate filter. So the engineers kind of got flat-footed trying to figure out how to do this. They initially just simply said, well, okay, when the diesel engine is on its exhaust stroke, pushing the exhaust out, we'll have that injector right there in the cylinder, we'll have it spritz some diesel in so that that diesel will get carried down the exhaust system, get to that DPF, catch it on fire, and burn it out. Okay, that'll work. All you've got to do is do some programming to your fuel management system, and you can do that. Uh, unfortunately, what happened as a result of that is quite a bit of diesel leaked down past the rings of the in the uh, on the piston, and they go down into the crankcase oil. So we're getting diesel contamination of the crankcase up to uh, 10%, 12%. That's not good because that thins the diesel oil out, the oil, the engine oil out, and next thing you know, you may be getting some excessive wear in the engine because your oil is not nearly uh, performing to the status that you want it to. So turns out that that is a, a problem in the earlier diesel from 2007 up to 2011. That's a side effect of that. Regeneration is pushing the diesel in. That's what it's called. You regenerate the filter. That's a cleaning regeneration, so it's back up to full status. So in 2011, they changed the exhaust system, and they upgraded it to a system that is different, and it uses uh, some uh, urea, uh, injection to uh, neutralize the nitrous oxides coming out of the engine and it reduces the soot load that's being created due to exhaust gas recirculation 
and so we have a better system. But if you have an engine, you have a truck, 2000, late 2007 through 2010, you probably have the original type of uh, diesel exhaust and system, and you're going to have some sort of higher effects of this because you're going to have more diesel getting into your crankcase than you would in a 2011 and later model. So it's just the nature of the of the of the process, and you need to be aware of it. Most people are aware of regeneration. I, I get calls all the time and emails from people that are upset about the regeneration and putting the engine into a slowdown mode and all kinds of things that they don't like. But that's what's going on, okay? 2013, the um, General Motors moved and put an injector into the exhaust system so you're no longer pushing diesel through the engine so you get no fuel contamination of the crankcase. I'm not sure when the Cummins turbo diesel and the Ford Power Strokes will follow suit on that, but that was a wise thing to do, I think, to move to that. That was what should have been done originally in 2007. But that costs money to pipe that system and put another injector in. So money usually is the overriding factor. So hopefully that clears it up a little. I know that there's so much on that, but you can see a uh, YouTube video that I must have a couple hundred thousand views of that just was a simple video explaining that system that's on YouTube under Dan Watson. I got a lot of other YouTube videos there, but you can see that one is a pretty good explanation. Now, people are criticizing a couple things in that video, and I'll just defend it by saying that video was made a long time before these modifications came out in the exhaust system. So it is at the early stages of this, way back, and it gives you an understanding of the process. But there have been some improvements and modifications that that video doesn't reflect in the newer system. So I'll make a new video when I get to it, but that one is still good for basic information. Excellent answer. Question. Another one very, very important. Uh, this one is about using a particular uh, type of oil in a vehicle. Uh, the gentleman writes, can I use SW30 engine oil in my car that requires 5W20? We seem to get a lot of people asking that question as well, Dan. Yeah, what they're asking is that these cars, a lot of the original ones said 5W30. Ford came out and said you could retro retroactively use 5W20 back to 1995. I think that was, in my own opinion, an insane statement because you know there's no reason whatsoever trying to put 20-weight oil back into vehicles that might have 150,000 miles on them that were made back in 1995. That would just end up in... All kinds of oil consumption and lots of, uh, shall we say, vituperative language going on in the vehicle as this was taking place. So I don't think that'd be a good idea at all. If you have a vehicle that was on 5W30, do not retroactively put it on to 5W20. Just stay with your 5W30. But the second question comes in, well, what if it says 520, can I use 5W30? And the truth is, yes, you can. Yes, you can. There's only a few places where you would really get into trouble, and that's because some of the newer vehicles use a variable valve timing system. Now, that's a great system. It changes the timing on your valve to assist with acceleration, high-speed operation, low-speed operation, because if you can change the timing on that the valve, it helps you do those things more efficiently. 
problem is that the system that does that is basically a hydraulic system, but the only oil it's got available to do its job is the engine oil. So if the engine oil is a little too thick in some situations, especially up north, uh, it may be sluggish to move what they call the phasers, which move the um, the timing chain in such a way as to shift the the timing of the valve, the camshaft for the valve. So if it is sluggish, you would recognize it in a runnability problem. Your car would not respond like what you expect it to. It might stutter. It might shudder. It might do something weird if that was the case. So all I can tell you is that 5W30 will work fine from a lubrication standpoint. The only thing you might run into a problem with is if you have one of these uh, very sophisticated variable valve timing engines, you probably at least need to be aware of it if you shift to it and you see a problem. That may be what it is. If you shift to the 5W30, if you're going to shift to a 30-weight oil from a 20-weight oil and you have variable valve timing, I recommend that you go to the 0W30 Amsoil uh, Signature Series Synthetic. That 0W30, uh, in every case I've seen it used, there is no response time concerns whatsoever. Because of the 0W factor, it handles cold weather a little better than 5W, and I've never seen a problem with response time associated with that. Of course, I do not live where it's 20 below zero. Okay. Yeah, that's true. So Absolutely. I have to caution people that if you're where it's 20 below zero, be careful going to a thicker oil if you have variable valve time. Dan, give out your 800 number. It is 800-370-2986. And email danwatson at thelooppage.com. Happy New Year, Dan, and we'll be talking to you next year. You betcha. We'll see you on the radio.